Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. We are in the, this is what's commonly referred to as Palm Sunday. And uh, the week before the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I'm not what you would call a a seasonal minister, meaning I don't necessarily sit down and just plan my calendar according to seasons. Uh, I I do obviously believe that uh, we should minister concerning the resurrection of Christ. But we do do that consistently because we consistently minister on redemption. But uh, I want to take the next couple of Sundays and minister on this subject, so great salvation, so great salvation. One theologian said this, he said, the resurrection of Christ is the foundation stone of Christianity. It is the crowning proof that the ransom paid for sinners was accepted. The ransom paid for sinners was accepted. It's the crowning proof. You know, uh, only Christianity is able to claim that our founder rose from the dead. Only, and, and people will say, well, you know, but I wasn't around when that happened, so how do we know? Well, the same believer that would say that and then try to say that the word is truth, you understand? Because Paul said that when Jesus rose from the dead, that the 12 saw him and then 500 other brethren saw him. And he said, and finally last, as one born out of season, I saw him. Hallelujah. So the resurrection of Christ is the foundation stone of Christianity. And in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, notice what he says. The writer of Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? So great salvation. So scripture calls our salvation, our rescue, uh, our victory, a great salvation. All right? It's not just a salvation. It is a great salvation. The word great means so vast. It means So great, so mighty, that's what it means. Our salvation is so vast because of all that it covers. It it covers a multitude of issues. It affects every part of our life. Your salvation affected your spirit. Your salvation will affect your mind. We've been teaching on that on Wednesday nights. How you can receive with grief, uh, uh, meekness the engrafted word that's able to save your soul, to renew your mind. Psalm 19 and verse 7 says that the, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting or restoring the soul, all right, restoring the mind of man. And so it affects every part of our life. It's so great because of its great cost, of its great cost. It's so mighty because of what it accomplished. All right, so it's vast in that it covers so many areas. It's great because of its great cost, and it's mighty because of what it accomplished. In 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to see what the Apostle Paul said concerning this. You bunch of blessed people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which, now when he says by which, meaning the gospel, by this gospel you are saved, if you keep in memory or you hold fast what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Notice, For I delivered unto you first of all. 
I, so we could say, I ministered to you, first of all, the first thing I ministered to you was what I received. Well, where did he receive it? From Christ. All right? And notice what he received. How that, number one, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Number two, that he was buried. Number three, he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So Paul says very simply, I delivered unto you first of all, or this was first in order, or this was the truth of primary importance. What? That Christ died for our sins. That he was buried and he rose again. So this was so elementary and so foundational to what the Apostle Paul uh, uh, taught who was the, the, the one that received the revelation of who we are in Christ. And he says the capstone of this that I ministered to you, Corinthians, was that Christ died, Christ was buried, and he didn't stop there, he, ro- he rose again. The first two are in the aorist sense, A-O-R-I-S-T-S, aorist sense, meaning past tense. Christ did die. Christ was buried. The third element, though, is in the present emphatic tense. He is alive. He did die. He was buried, but he rose and he is alive. So that's why we could sing, I serve a living Savior. He's in my life today. Amen. So when we, when we think about the resurrection of Jesus, Paul says this was primary in importance. Jesus was born that he could die. Amen. You don't have to go to these scriptures. I'll I'll give them to you. You can write them down. In Hebrews 2.14, it says that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. 1 John 3 and 5 says he was manifest for this purpose, to take away our sins. He was manifest to take away our sin. That word manifest means he showed up. He appeared for one reason, to bear our sins away. Well, the Bible says the way he bore them away was on the cross. First Peter says, we'll read it. It says he bore our sin to the cross and carried them in his body. The Bible says he was the sin bearer. That was his purpose for coming to the earth. Matthew 20, 28 says the Son of Man came that he might give his life A ransom for many. So all through the scripture we see Jesus saying, this is why I came to the earth. When he stood before Pilate, he said, for this cause I was born. Because Pilate said, don't you know I can take your life or give it to you? And Jesus said, you'd have no power over me at all if it wasn't given to you of my father. For this cause I came into the earth. It was settled. This is why I came. Oh, glory. So the very purpose for him coming into the world was so that he might take on human nature and then offer up his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Hallelujah. That was the whole purpose. And now you see why it was, it was such an emphatic response when Jesus began to tell his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to turn on me and they're going to uh, betray me into the hands of evil men, and they're going to beat me, and then they're going to finally kill me, but I'm going to rise again on the third day. And Peter said, no, no, Lord, pity yourself. Feel sorry for yourself. Don't say that. And Jesus turned to him, and the Woos Bible says, looking at Peter and Satan, and said, get behind me. You don't know what you're talking about. Right? Because that was the cause in his life. Oh, glory. Look at Luke 24. Thank you, Jesus. Good. God's been good to me. Oh, yes. Gave me victory. Mm. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo. You know, when I just start thinking about not going to hell, something just happens. Amen. Have I ever told you that story? One day I was out in the backyard in my house in uh, Kansas, 
years ago, and we had two little dogs, and I was out letting them, you know, go in the backyard. And it was one of those crisp winter days, you know, and the sky was just blue. And, and I was just, you know, it had been one of those weeks, I mean, where I was having to find things to be thankful for. Yeah. Have you ever been there? Yeah. Man, I was out in the backyard, and I was watching the dogs, and, and these geese, I could hear them honking, honk, honk, flying over. And I just looked up, and I'm just being thankful. Lord, thank you. And one of those geese, <laughs> literally right between the eyes, I mean, literally. And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, well, Lord, at least I'm not going to hell. Praise God. People say, what's the moral of that story? When a goose messes on your head, at least you're not going to hell. So you can be thankful. Amen. Hallelujah. No, you don't have to leave on that. Hallelujah. I'm joking. I'm joking. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Luke 24. What's the moral of that story? You hear geese honking, don't look up. Amen. Run for cover. Luke 24 and verse 27. Notice what Jesus said. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 44 says, He said to them, These are the words that I spake to you while I was with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Jesus said that Moses and the prophets, in fact, he said all scriptures dealt with the subject of his death. In Luke 3 and 31, when, or 9, 31, when you see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, when uh, it says that his, his, uh, the, 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 his raiment glowed with the glory of God. The Bible says this, that Moses and Elijah spoke to him concerning his death. So it was such an important subject that we see even in this visitation from Moses and Elijah, we don't get anything else in the scripture about what they were talking about except they were talking to him about his death and what would be accomplished. Hallelujah. So the very purpose for him coming into the world was to give Himself for us. Amen. The atonement is the fundamental theme of the gospel. Fundamental theme of the gospel. Now, the nature of the atonement. Hallelujah. The word atonement basically means in the, in the Old Testament, they carried the idea of covering or to cover. But it also carried this idea. To be merciful. In other words, the idea is this. Is that God allowed the sacrifice of bulls and goats and lambs in the Old Testament. He allowed the shedding of blood of those animals to cover sin because of His mercy. Because of His mercy. Hallelujah. When the blood of the sacrifice was shed for an individual... Their sin was forgiven by God. But each time they sinned, they were required to bring a fresh sacrifice. Now understand something. God has not changed. If He's a forgiving God now, He was a forgiving God then. And if they met the requirements, God forgave them. When we talk about He covered sin... It doesn't mean he just covered it up and acted like it didn't happen. He forgave it. The problem was there was a sin problem. Man was not capable of living above sin. Amen. In, in, in different verses, he uses different uh, phrases for what happened under the atonement. Jeremiah 18.23 says their sin was blotted out. Hallelujah. Micah 7.19 says it was cast into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered against them no more. Now, understand why I'm saying this. That was in the Old Testament. So God did not make a remembrance of sin every year. 
They had to make a remembrance because they could not live above it. When God forgave it, God forgave it. Why? Mercy. Amen. Everyone say mercy. Psalm 78, 38 says that God pardoned their sins. You, 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 you remember in, in, in the book of 1 Samuel, when uh, uh, Samuel, or 2 Samuel, when Samuel came to David and, and he spoke to him, and you remember David had committed adultery and committed murder. And Samuel came, and you remember he told him the parable. And David got upset because this man that Samuel talked about, taking that man's lamb. And you remember the story. Samuel said, you're the man. And it says that David got on his face before God. Right? And then immediately in the next verse, you see Samuel saying, the Lord has pardoned you. How is that possible under the old covenant when both of those infractions were worthy of death, but yet David goes to the Lord and finds grace in the Old Covenant. Because why? Remember what God said when David stood, when Eliab and Shammah and all of David's brothers stood before him, and Samuel said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. What does the Bible say? It says the Lord said, no, don't look on his outward appearance, because I look on the heart. I don't look at what he looks like on the inside, and his heart isn't right. When David repented in the palace that day, it was immediately obvious to God, his heart's right. This is true repentance. And what did God do to true repentance? Show his mercy. What does that tell you and I? Repentance is always the way out. If you make a mistake and you blow it, just repent. Get, get humble before God and repent and that blood will wash you from all unrighteousness, and you're immediately forgiven. Oh, glory be to God. Amen. See, their nature wasn't changed. In the Old Testament, the sin problem wasn't dealt with. Man man didn't have power over sin through the death of an animal. And so the blood of that animal covered the sin. And here's why it covered the sin. It covered the sin because of God's mercy. If it covered the sin, God God was aware of it, but it was no longer in His sight pattern. It was no longer in His face because the blood was there. You you understand? And it produced mercy. Glory to God. Mm. The, The atonement achieved through the death of Christ removed sin. It removed the sin problem. Look at Hebrews 9. One of my favorite books in the Bible is Hebrews. Hallelujah. Hebrews 9 verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Now, others is the sacrifice. And notice what he's saying. He's saying Christ does not have to enter into the holy place every year. But the priest did. On what? The day of atonement. And he would go with a a blood offering for everybody. Right? And he had to do that every year. Why? It only covered. It didn't remove. But for the space of that year, hear me, God never brought their sin up. Isn't that amazing? That even under the old covenant, God never brought their sin up. He forgot it. Isn't that great? Verse uh, 25, Nor that he should offer himself as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once, in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The Son of God was manifest to take away sin. It's the same word, appeared. Once in the end of the age. That word age, word word world, is the Greek word aeon. It means age. At that age, at the end of the age of the old covenant... Jesus appeared. Yes. Yes. 
That's what Galatians says. That in, the, in, the, in due season, in due time, Jesus was born of a woman. If, if you could have seen in the Spirit, all those ages are culminating. All those ages are culminating. And on that night in Bethlehem, when Jesus was born, those ages collided. They came together. The, the, the age of the old covenant was coming to an end. And the age of the new covenant was beginning. The time of the kingdom had shown up. And when Jesus stretched forth His hands on the cross and said, It is finished. It wasn't just his job. It wasn't just his ministry. It was the old covenant age coming to an end and the new covenant age beginning because now the blood of the eternal high priest could be put on the mercy seat. And it's still there. Oh, glory. The Amplified Bible says, He appeared to put away and abolish sin by His sacrifice of Himself. Well, what does that mean? Sin's power has been broken. It doesn't mean you can't sin. It means the power of sin over you has been abolished. That's what the book of Romans says. It says sin shall not have dominion over you because we're not under the age of law. We are under the age of grace. That's not that you can do whatever you want to do. It means you're in the age that you have power over sin. The Old Testament saints wanted to look into how we live and what we have spiritually because they didn't understand this concept of having victory and power over sin consistently. You and I walk in more power over sin than any Old Testament believer ever did. You name them. None of them were made new creatures. Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, anybody, David, you name them, none of them were made new creatures. The moment you were born again, within 30 seconds of being born again, you received more power in your spirit than Moses ever walked in. That that doesn't make us better. It It makes us the recipient of their faith. Oh, glory be to God. Hallelujah. Mm, 1 Peter 2 and 24. It says, the Woos Bible says, Himself carried up to the cross our sins in His body and offered offered Himself there as on an altar, doing this in order that we, having died with respect to our sins, might live with respect to righteousness. So we have no respect... For the sin that we used to have in our life. Now our respect is the righteousness that we have become. You've got to respect the righteousness that you have become more than you respect the failure you used to be in your life. Mm. Hallelujah. Sin cannot overcome your righteousness. It cannot. If you will stand and know who you are in Christ, sin cannot overcome your righteousness. Cannot. It will will in the face of your righteousness like a snowball on an August afternoon. You cannot, a a born-again believer that will walk in their righteousness and walk in who they are in Christ, cannot, will not, is not under the power and the dominion of sin. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5. In the atonement, Jesus bore our sin. And what did He do? He bore it away. He took it away from us. I don't have time to get into this. There's so much. But the Bible tells us that Jesus went to the place of the dead. That Jesus went to hell. Why did He go? It it was the suffering that was due to us. But what was He carrying when He went? Our sin. The sin of the entire world. And He suffered in hell. For what? Our sin. And that's why when he rose from the grave, the Bible says he arose victorious over death, over hell, and over the grave. Amen. And that's why he could say, there is no dominion of sin over you anymore. The dominion of sin doesn't exist. It doesn't exist if you don't give it dominion. Hallelujah. I've had people tell me, you make that sound too easy. Listen. Think, think about this for a moment. Think about this for a moment. I've run into people before. You know, I've counseled marriages and whatnot. 
And the guy would tell me, well, I just can't help but lose my temper, you know, with his wife. But you know that same guy? If you put him in a room with some fellow 6'5", 250, he'd somehow control his temper. Right? Amen. When, when, when the want to leaves you, right, and you consecrate yourself to the things of God, somehow the dominion of sin just leaves. Because, because I don't want to do it. And, and here's what you've got to understand. You do not have to do anything you don't want to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why the old preacher D. O., uh, uh, Dwight Moody, he said, I drink all I want. I cuss all I want. I run around all I want. Trouble is I just don't want. Just don't want to. Tell your neighbor, I don't want to. This is, this is hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 5.21, you know this verse. He has made him to be sin for us that knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we're told here that a Hebrew word used to describe cleansing means this, to unsin. Unsin. He made him to be sin for us that knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It means to unsin. So by the atoning death of Christ, Christians were unsinned. Unsinned. And then in Christed. I was unsinned and in Christed. See, we die to sin in order to live for Christ. Unsinned. Think about that. You can, we can use any phrase. Took my sin, washed my sin, cleansed my sin. But either way, you were unsinned. You came full of sin and got up from the altar unsinned. Hallelujah. See, it's such a great salvation. And I don't know what anybody in here may have done or didn't do. I don't know where, where your life was before Christ. I know some of you. I know Pastor Larry was a heathen. But the point is, <laughs> the, 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 the point is, look at Monique going, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hallelujah. But the, 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 the point is, ever what it was, it did not take a greater amount of blood to cleanse what we would call very great sin and what we would call minor sin. See, this is important. Because it wasn't the sins, it was sin. You may have been whatever when you came to Christ. Liar, cheater, manipulator, adulterer, whatever it was. Or maybe just a religious person that was a sinner. It wasn't the adultery. It wasn't the lying. It was the root. It was the sin. Sin produced sins. And when you were born again, you were unsinned. The blood reached into the root of the problem into your spirit and unsend you. <sighs> right. When you, go, when you go home today, most of you, you're, you're, you're going to want to get in something more comfortable. Well, the first thing you have to do to dress in something more comfortable is undress from what you have on. And so you might have a suit on right now, but chances are in a couple hours you won't. Why? You undressed. And you put on new clothes. The Bible says we were unsinned. And when we were unsinned, we were in Christed. And all those dirty robes of sin and, and, and garments that were marked with sin and failure, we were undressed. And it says we were dressed in robes of righteousness. And they're not just robes of righteousness. They are robes that look exactly like the robes that the Father has. It's the righteousness of God in Christ. Oh, my Lord, my Lord. I've done it. I've preached myself happy. The atonement is shown in Scripture four ways. 
First of all is a ransom. A ransom. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says that you were not redeemed with such corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb of God. Well, the word for redeemed here in the Greek is the word for ransom. You were not redeemed. You were not ransomed with corruptible things. Hallelujah. Ransom. Our freedom wasn't really free. Amen. Our freedom from Satan's power was extremely expensive. It was extremely expensive. Jesus paid the ransom that set us free. There's four words for the word redeemed in the New Testament. And, and this one right here, meaning ransom, it, it carries this idea of a person being enslaved in sin and in the spiritual slave market, and the devil is driving up the price. Amen. He's driving up the price. But Jesus showed up and said, whatever the price is, I'll pay it. And what was the price, according to Peter? The blood of the Lamb of God. Amen. So, it was Jesus' blood that guaranteed, notice this, guaranteed our deliverance from the power of Satan. That's why when we sang today, I know it was the blood. I know what was paid for me. I know what you can and cannot do. You can't hold me in bondage any longer because the ransom has been paid. Right? See, you might be a believer here today and the ransom has been paid, but there's still things holding you in bondage. What do you have to do? Walk out. The door's open. All you got to do is walk out. The prison has been opened. Jesus said one of the things that he came to preach was the, was the opening of prison doors, the deliverance of the captive. There should be no captivity to sin in our lives. There should be no captivity to failure in our lives because the ransom has been paid. Oh, glory be to Jesus. In uh, Hebrews, uh, uh, we read... Uh, Hebrews 10, 26 through 29, it says, Christ once offered, in verse 28, to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. We've been delivered. Been delivered. It is, secondly, it is shown as a propitiation. Romans chapter 3. Propitiation. Now, this word propitiation, it is a New Testament word. It's only used in the New Testament. And I'll show you something because I believe this is important. It's used three ways in the New Testament. It's used in Romans 3 that we're going to read, 1 John 2 and 1 John 4. Here in Romans chapter 3 and uh, verse 25, it says, uh, well, let's read verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God set forth to be a propitiation. God foreordained Him to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Now, here's the thing. When you, when you look at this, Propitiation, verse 25, you look the word up, it literally means mercy seat. It means the lid of the ark, the place where the blood was sprinkled. All right? When you read in 1 John 2 and 2, I'm, I'm taking the time to, to go here because I want you to see this. So the first one is the lid or the, the lid of the ark, the mercy seat. 1 John 2.2, 2, it says, uh, And He, meaning Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but the sins of the entire world. 1 John 4.10 says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us 
and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That first word means the mercy seat, the place where the blood was sprinkled. The second two words refer to the sacrifice that produced the blood. Now why is that important? Jesus was the place of victory and the sacrifice that produced victory. In His body, He became the mercy seat. All of our sin was laid on Him. When the blood was laid on the mercy seat under the Old Covenant, the blood was there to atone for the sin. It was not just the blood that was offered. The sin was laid on it as well. Then the blood was laid on it and forgiven. When Jesus died on the cross, he, cared, he was the sin bearer. He became, if we could say it this way, the altar for our sins. The place of mercy. The cross, we, you know, it was a place of punishment, it was a place of death, but it was a place of mercy. Amen. So it was a propitiation. This word means bringing together making favorable and then thus enabling someone to act with mercy and forgiveness. Bringing together, making favorable, enabling someone to act with mercy and forgiveness. Until that propitiation, until that sacrifice, there was nothing there that enabled God to act in our lives with mercy and forgiveness. There was nothing to bring us together. Christ died to save us from God's wrath and to secure His favor for us. Secure His favor for us. Amen. Number three, it was a reconciliation. It's shown as a reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5. Hallelujah. And verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The, the phrase is, let him be. Let him be a new creature. In other words, you are and you should be, but you have to be. Amen. It's like this. When you got married, we could say it this way. If any man be married, let him act married. Ladies, y'all that are married, don't you want that? You want that man acting married. Hallelujah. Those of you that aren't saying anything, you're going, mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you're in Christ, let him be a new creation. A species of being that never existed before. Why? Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And all things, what things? All those new things, in verse 17, all those new things are of God, preposition of, through God, the channel of God, by God's mercy, who hath reconciled us to Himself. How? By Jesus Christ. And given us the ministry of reconciliation. God took the initiative to restore fellowship with Himself through the death of Jesus. God took the initiative. I've heard people say before, well, you know, I found the Lord. No, that's exactly backwards. God wasn't lost. He found you. Amen. Do you see that? I've talked to single folks before that were going to get married and they were acting the way they shouldn't, you know. And they said, well, we're going to get married. My answer is this, well, going to get married is exactly the same as not being married. Right? So, th so that's not how you should be acting. But here's the point. God took the initiative. Man didn't want anything to do with God. Man had went away from God. God took the initiative to restore fellowship with Himself through the death of Jesus Christ. In other words, there was a return to favor with God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Paul never speaks of God being reconciled to men, but man being reconciled to God. Hallelujah. 
in, in uh, Romans 5. Romans 5 and verse 10. It says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the atonement. The word is reconciliation. By whom we have received the reconciliation. Hallelujah. The effect of the cross was on man. Not on God. Here's why. God wasn't an angry God that was just pacified by the blood of Jesus. You know, there are religions, and, and not just uh, religions other than the Protestant religion. Uh, there, there are some Protestant denominations that paint God as this very austere, stern, old man that's kind of grumpy. Amen. I was reading through Sister Jeannie's book the other day, My Supernatural Encounters with God. And she said, you know, she said, I had no problem believing that Jesus loved me. But she said, when it came to God, I had a problem. Because I pictured God as this stern, austere old man in heaven that if you did something wrong, he'd smack you. Well, I mean, you know, her father was electrocuted when she was a little girl putting up a television antenna. And the pastor of their church said God took him because he needed him. Well, I can kind of paint a bad picture. And did. But God is, it was not an angry God just pacified by the blood of Jesus. Okay, well, my son died, so I guess I'll do you a solid and save you. Amen. The cross changed the heart of man. The cross changed me. It didn't change God because God can't change. God didn't decide to be merciful and forgiving. He was already merciful and forgiving. But when I accepted the blood of Jesus to wash me from my sin, I found out how merciful and forgiving He was. Amen. The cross turned rebellion into surrender. It turned man's hostility towards God into love. Here's what we have to understand. It costs the cross to make that change in the heart of man. God wanted that change to occur so much that He sent Jesus to the cross. That's why we always have to teach and preach. Look at the cross and see how much God loves you. Amen. Do do you see that? Because the world is hearing so many things and and, and Christians are hearing so many things. About doesn't God care and where's God when I need Him and all these different. Look at the cross and see how much God loves you. Look at where Jesus hung between heaven and earth and earth and, he- and hell and became the sacrifice for sin and you'll see how much God loves you. Oh, hallelujah. And we were reconciled to God. And so Paul said then our ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. And so when you hear people running around talking about how angry God is and they're talking to sinners, understand that's not the gospel of reconciliation. Well, it's tight, but it's right. They need to know. Turn or burn. That's not the message of reconciliation. I mean, if you don't turn, you will burn, but you understand. I, I, I don't know if you've been watching it, but Pastor Caldwell has been ministering all week or last week on Arkansas Live about uh, uh, in defense of the goodness of God. And, and he took Friday and talked about what about wrath and what about judgment and outlined it, that wrath and judgment come on people because they're disobedient and rebellious, not because that's what God wants. You know, I've never wanted to spank any of my children. Ever have I wanted to. I had to be made to do it. How was I made? By their lack of doing what I asked them to do. Their rebellion. Did I love them with all my heart? I'd give anything for them. Amen. Look there, she's like... 
Mama, you believe a different theology. Amen. Right? But you think about that. And, and, and you would go in and the child would say, but Daddy, I'm sorry. I'm real sorry. I know, I know, how, I know how sorry you are. But somebody's got to pay for the wrong. Right? Did I love them? Did I care about them? Of course I did. But judgment came because you wouldn't do what I asked you to do. Right? And, and, and what do we hope the child learned? Quick obedience will always avoid that. Right? My oldest daughter said something one time because she was never any problem, never any trouble growing up. And she made the statement. She said, well, I know that one day I'm going to grow up and go to college. And she said, and if there's something I want to do that you don't like, I can do it then. But she said, I figure it's easier on me if I just do what you ask while I live here. Now, you know, that's not the perfect theology. But think about that. What if you translate that over into your life? Lord, I'm just going to do what you want me to do. I'm just, I'm whatever you want, that's what I'm going to do. Amen. God is not sending people to hell. He doesn't want people to go to hell. He doesn't want people to suffer for their sin. But when a person decides to just do their own thing and live their own way, disregarding what God says in His Word, God, His proverbial hands are tied. There's nothing that He can do. He put it in His Word. I am not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of eternal life. So it's never God's will for anybody to die in their sin. That's why the scripture we read, it said that Jesus was the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. That's why no one in the world will ever be with excuse when they stand before God. Because the price was paid. People will, listen, people will not go to hell for adultery. They will go to hell for disregarding and despising the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying it's not sin. I'm saying the sin is disregarding the sacrifice. When you stand before God, when I stand before God, He's not going to ask you how many homeless people you fed, how many poor people you helped, how many works of service you did. He's going to say, what did you do with Jesus Christ? And the answer to that question will determine where I spend eternity. Amen. Because it's so easy. It's so easy. Number four. This is my final point. It was a substitution. It was a substitution. Peter 3 and verse 18. Oh, glory to God. First Peter 3 and 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Notice this verbiage. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. The just for the unjust. The innocent for the guilty. Jesus suffered a single time for the sins of the unjust. But Jesus suffered to bring us to God. That's why when you read in the scripture where Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this world, of this age, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Everything that Paul went through, he compared it to what Christ went through. And he said, that's minor. That's minor. Compared to what he suffered to bring me to God, that's minor. Amen. And so, Jesus suffered to bring us to God. And, and here's what it does. It pictures Jesus, notice what it says, that he might bring us to God. This pictures Jesus leading us to the Father's throne on the basis of his substitution and his death that opened the way.
He is the way. The blood of Jesus opened heaven. It, it, the, the blood of Jesus did two main things. It opened the grave and it opened heaven. And when it opened heaven, it made a way for you to approach the Father, for me to approach the Father on the basis of that blood. Amen. Oh, glory. Substitution can be explained this way. It's very simple. Something happened to Christ. And because it happened to Christ, it does not need to happen to me. Something happened to Jesus. And because it happened to him, it doesn't have to happen to me. See, here's the key. That is the uselessness and the needlessness of someone living in sin. There's no reason for anybody to ever suffer punishment for their sin when a substitute already suffered for them. Already did. And that's, and that's why to the believer, to the Christian, sin makes no sense because that's been paid for. Suffering because of sin makes no sense because it's been paid for. Amen. You know, and, 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 and I'm careful with this, if, uh, but I, I was driving down the road the other day and uh, I, I drove by a lady in her car and she was smoking. I was on the phone with my wife and I said, you know, people still smoke. You know, that kind of boggles my mind a little bit. You know, I mean, right there on the package that they bought, it says it causes death, heart disease, emphysema. I don't even know what they cost anymore. Somebody knows. Somebody said $7. Wow. That's a lot of money to pay for cancer. <laughs> Hallelujah. But here's my point. You look at that and you go, that's needless. That person is not going to be healthy and it's, it's, it's needless. There's no reason for it. You see people living in sin. There's no reason. You just want to go and say, hey, there's no reason for you to keep living that way. The price has been paid. Can you see the joy of the Lord that, that is here available to you? And it's all been paid for. You don't have to pay for anything. You don't have to pay the price for any of this. It's already been paid for. You just got to walk into it. Glory to God. Christ died for our sins. And by accepting His sacrifice, what do we have? Everlasting life. You know, when Abraham took Isaac to Mount Moriah, and the Bible says very plainly that God said, take your son to the mountain that I'll show you and offer him there as a sacrifice. Now, we know the story of Abraham raising the knife up and, and, and preparing to go through with that. And the Lord called to him out of heaven, the angel of the Lord called to him out of heaven and said, do your son no harm, for now I know that you believe me. And it says Abraham looked and there was a ram in the thicket. It's the law of the substitute. It's the law of the substitute. Abraham was doing what God asked him to do. And I've heard, I've heard different, different uh, uh, accounts of that. But, but here's what I know. Ever when that ram arrived there, I don't know when he arrived. I've heard great eloquent speakers talk about how uh, Isaac and Abraham were walking up one side of the mountain and Isaac had the, the, the wood for the sacrifice on his back and coming up on the other side of the mountain, the ram was coming up on the same time. I don't know if they were or not. I don't know if he showed up the night before, but here's what I know, that God had a substitute that was foreordained. That ram, whether he showed up five minutes early or 24 hours early, he was there before Abraham ever got there. He was there. Before you ever sinned your first sin, the blood was there to forgive it. Before you ever messed up the way you messed up, the blood of Jesus was there to wash it and forgive it because it was an eternal sacrifice. Hallelujah. 
And that ram became the substitute for Isaac. Well, the Bible tells us another image of a substitute. It says that Jesus stood in Pilate's judgment hall. And Pilate looked at the people there of the day, the Jews and others. And he's made this statement. He said, what do you want me to do with the king of the Jews? Right? I don't find any fault in him. Now, now understand this. It had to be proclaimed by a person of authority that there was no fault in the sacrifice. To be the substitute, he had to, there had to be no fault. He said, I find no fault in him. He said, what do you want me to do? Crucify him, but I don't find any fault in him. Who do you want me to release to you? Right? And they said, give us Barabbas. Who the Bible says was a murderer. An insurrectionist that had committed murder in the insurrection. So, if you look at it that way, the cross that Jesus carried, whose cross was it really? Barabbas. But yet the murderer went free. And the giver of life went to the cross. Because it's the law of the substitute. The Bible says every one of us were worthy of death. It says every one of us had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us had went our own way and lived our... It doesn't matter if you were saved when you were three years of age. The fact that you could get saved at three years of age means that you recognize you were a sinner at three years of age. I was born again when I was eight years old, standing on the, on the front row of a church in Houston, Texas with my mom while A.J. Lewis was preaching the gospel. And he said something, I don't even remember what he said. At eight years of age, I knew right here, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. I was, I was born in church. My mother was pregnant with me, went into labor with me preaching on a Sunday night. And one Sunday, one, one week later, I was in church. Hallelujah. And my dad was an evangelist, and my mom, when I got old enough, she bought me and my sister two little rocking chairs. I had a little red rocking chair, and she had a little, uh, uh, her, hers was more comfortable for whatever reason. It had some cushion in it. I always said she was the favorite. Anyway, and we sat in those rocking chairs. Here, here's my point. I was raised in church, sitting, on, sitting on, on the platform. Got wore out with a switch in front of everybody. All you young folks, at least your parents took you somewhere where people couldn't see you. My mother nettled my legs right there on the platform. I think, I think she dressed me this way on purpose. She dressed me in those little short outfits and then whipped me. Hallelujah. But of course, you can tell I didn't need many whippings. But anyway, anyway, the sacrifice. At that age, I knew I needed Jesus. What was it? I did not become aware of how great sins I had committed. I did not, because I hadn't committed any great sins. I was only eight. What did I become aware of? I'm a sinner. I don't have Christ in my life. And I need to change this. Amen. And what happened? I believed on Jesus Christ. And the substitute saved me. Barabbas should have died. But the substitute saved him. It wasn't Pilate that saved him. It was the substitute. I don't know what happened to him after that. But here's what I know. Why, maybe even watching online, maybe somebody here, why are you carrying a cross that's already been carried? Why live a life of frustration when the substitute has taken care of it? Hallelujah. So, by His sacrifice, we have everlasting life. Oh, glory to God. Jesus 
was cut down in the prime of his life so you could live a full life. Jesus became a man acquainted with grief and sorrow on the cross so you could be acquainted with the joy that was set before him. Hallelujah. All in the substitute. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads today, shall we? Thank you, Father.